So here we are, 2020, huh? Somebody told me I should do some intro for this, uh, this podcast. And I've been kind of following that. Like, there's so many people that have done radio shows and uh, podcasts of the years with their own intro. And I like the one I've done, one from Night Sounds that Bill Pierce used. Kind of pay tribute to him. But I really don't have anything on my own. Uh, so... 2020, you know, I did I did a podcast last, that was two weeks ago, when Ram Dass died, and I really did one kind of open-ended just for his life, because I just found out this great spiritual teacher, who I knew was in, in bad health, really, really bad health, had passed away, and I, I sat, thought, well, I'm going to listen to one of his meditations, I'm going to do a real open-ended, quiet um, podcast, and I did it on a different speaker system than I'm used to. It turned out all right. I think I got the point across, but it was really hard to hear. I hope this is better. Uh, back using my own equipment here, back in my own studio. It feels feels better. It, it's not me hiding in a corner somewhere trying to be quiet with earphones on, trying to record <laughs> over a cell phone. What what a difference. I mean, you, you really don't understand how much better the equipment sounds until you're actually there using it. And hearing it played back, it, it it's almost like when you have a disposable camera and you see the perfect picture and you take it and you think, damn, I wish I had my good camera with me, my good professional camera. And that, that's how it kind of has been the past few weeks. Um, it's It's a new... New Year, and right now I'm excited. I have, of all things that I got for, someone got me, I got this wonderful light from my studio here. I can write by it, and I can also um, do these podcasts. You see how it works? Yeah, it's nice and bright. I got the LED light, and then I got the natural light. Uh, my sister got this for me, and I'm, I'm really impressed by it. And I was looking for something like that. Because how many times when you're doing oil painting or you're trying to write something, you want either LED light or natural light. Because when you're painting, for instance, or you're writing something, sometimes natural light is a lot better than LED light. LED light, you will do something in LED light, turn around, take it out in natural light, and you look at yourself and go, what did I just do? <laughs> Please, when they have this art show, I hope they have LED lights. That's what you say to yourself. The item in question I actually used years ago when it taught me that. I did win first prize in the art show with it. However, looking back, I don't know why. <laughs> I really don't. Okay, so we're 2020 now here. Okay, 2020. The Roaring Twenties. and I, I think back to this podcast. This is going to be just a spontaneous, my thoughts, the for the year and everything else, the decade, it's a new decade, um, the teens were really horrible on me, I, I want to be honest about that, the, the 2010s were not the greatest, <laughs> I started them first of all losing um, my father to, well first of all my father had to get heart surgery, triple bypass, then he had pancreatic cancer, passed away from that. Um, then I had my older brother get gangrene in his leg, and he passed away. And my good friend Tex passed away. And, of course, Valerie passed away. I had I, I could go through, down the list. I, I sat there trying to compile it, and I was just like, why, why am I doing this to myself? Why, why am I reliving, like, the, the worst things? But to put into perspective these people's lives... This is a decade I'm living into that they haven't. So I have a great deal of uh, very thoughtful mindfulness that that I'm thinking about them here. And I want to especially think of two people. My father was born in 1927, so this should have been the decade, I think, looking back, I'd be saying, you know, Dad, you're going to turn 100, you know, 100 years. I'll, I'll never get to do that. Uh, 
I started thinking of people like Valerie, whose favorite book was The Great Gatsby. She loved that book. And uh, sure, she had a chick mind. I mean, she loved those chick books. And The Great Gatsby, man, that was a book that her and I both loved. I loved it for the aspect of just the way the story is told. She loved it for the time period. I could totally sit here now and just mentally materialize Valerie in a flapper outfit, um, her hair cut. I always take her, her hair longer, but I could see it short, and she's sitting there, standing there in a nice sequin gown and saying it's the Roaring Twenties. I, I could see this, but, you know, of course, she's not here, but the Roaring Twenties. So for me to be a part of all of this, without these people is is in and of itself sad but it's also uh, looking at the number I can't imagine 2020 20. you have to understand I'm still thinking 1900s here right but time flies time really flies it does um, I don't know what um, your uh, New Year's resolutions are what your goals are if you're goal setting I am to a certain point. I feel goal setting is an extremely important thing. Long-term goals and short-term. Now for me, obviously my books that I write are long-term goals. I will set out and give myself anywhere from a year to three years to write them. Only one of them, the book Valerie, was it took me six months to write. I knew what I felt in my heart, and that's the thing. To... to um, Set goals that are attainable, have a purpose to you. Don't just set a resolution and say, I feel like uh, smoking and, and you don't really smoke. <laughs> you have no plans on really stopping smoking because you don't smoke that much. Um, it should be something that really builds on, on yourself, builds on who you are, builds on a character that you want to either through family or maybe it's taking your kids to the movies more spending more time with them maybe it's getting rid of some vice i surely have a few vices i could probably as a writer get get away from uh planning time better out of my schedule to look at this as work and not fun because writing is fun to me but it's also work i think giving to charities and seeing things in the bigger picture so you're not confined to your own ego is an extremely important thing. I, I was, for instance, you know, always trying to learn something. If I see something I don't learn and don't understand, I always try to contextualize it and see why. And that's that's one of my, my goals for the year is to instead of drawing an opinion right away is to try to figure out where the other person's coming from. I was always taught in college that liberal thought, not as far as political, but liberal thought is to be able to see both sides of an argument. Uh, that goes back to Plato, you know. And for instance, this, this is just another one, and it's an extremely important thing. Uh, women that, and I, I'm, all my teachers, I'll put it this way, have been women. I, I can name in college, um, I can see their faces. Professor Carr, uh, Randy Kasky was one of my favorites. Uh, there, there was many of them. I can see all their faces right now. Most, most of my major professors were women that I had that I learned from, and I never, you know, I always took for granted a little bit that. Uh, in this field that they were going through a lot of things that they were not being recognized equal to their peers with never 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 crossed my mind I just maybe I'm maybe I'm blind that way to it I don't know but one of one of these professors had said something she'd gotten her doctorate and she said uh, I wish people would quit referring to me as my first name and doctor instead and I, for, I of course <coughs> Excuse me. 
I of course saw it and said to said to myself, what, "What's this? What's this about?" You know, uh, it, it it was in a very short message. I didn't understand exactly what where they were coming from. So I said, well, elaborate on this a little bit. And then I understood a lot. You know, having to understand your audience. If I'm writing someone a letter, I might write uh, Dr. So-and-so. Or if it's a personal letter, I might use their first name. If I'm writing an email the same way, I might dress it that certain way to them, very personally. Maybe... Uh, this this woman I happen to know very well. We go out to lunch. We're good friends. We're good colleagues, and I want to speak to her in that that way. But if I'm writing a letter or email, and I'm saying Doctor Smith, Doctor Jones, Doctor, I'm going through all those Spielberg ones here, um, and I get to this woman and I say uh, uh, Sh uh, Shannon, let's say, or Julie, or whatever, you're you're, you're demonetizing them. And or if you call them sweetie, I mean, come on. Come on, this is this is somebody that has earned their doctorate degree, and you're going to speak to them that way. It's it's this type of sexism that you know me. Me, I've never really uh, dealt with with my title because I don't look at titles. I've never liked titles. I've always been under the opinion, and I don't mean to offend anybody. If you're not a doctor doing surgery, you're probably not a doctor. Uh, but you have a doctoral degree. I have, I have a couple degrees. I don't put them on paper. I learned dealing with my clients, the ones I have, in psychology. I know all these big theories, all these big words, all these big ways of explaining the mind. But if I say to my clients, uh, any, any little bit of a a theory, a theoretical word or, or a parenthetical that words something that they don't understand. I'm not being effective. So what I've learned to do, just me personally, is to go with what Vygotsky said, which is a zone of proximal development, where if you're going to bring somebody up to a certain level. You kind of have to come down to that level yourself and help them build up to it. So to me, I, I came from an idea that... Um, I never really was pressed by titles anyways. I, I just used it as a way to get into a career field, hopefully get into educating myself on a lot of diff different issues. And that's, that's what college or university degree really should be, is to grow as a human being. That's uh, really not anymore. And very few people take all the electives that I took that I enjoyed taking. I would take them sometimes, even if they didn't go with my degree, just because I wanted to take that class. Uh, industrial psychology is one. So this this woman is telling me this, and I'm, I'm coming off and across the point that, well, you have a doctorate, and now you want everybody to call you doctor. But, but no, that wasn't it. It was, hey, and me ignorantly misunderstood what she was saying to think that it was that. It should become across as a very open meaningful expression of a person where you, you can't tell if they're a man or a woman or black or white or Asian or Native American or whatever. But the way it was worded in that short way was very hard for many people to understand. So that's what I want to talk about too. This is one of the things that I was totally blind to, you know. And I'm not blind because I come from some point of privilege or white privilege or anything. I'm part Native American. Uh, I've done a lot of family history, and we're all related. And it, it boils down basically to this, because you're going to be judged no matter if you're short, tall, blonde, dark hair, black, white, Asian, woman, man, uh, disabilities, you name it all. Let's treat... It boils down to treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody the way that they've merited that respect in their life, through their struggles, and uh, value them on their on their qualities. So that's what our discussion got into, and it made me realize just how much it's important to see both sides of an issue, and the ones that you can't see both sides that are truly out there. Then you know that there's something really screwy with the way people are thinking. A lot of, you know, really messed up mental 
problems that you can't rationalize. Some people have, or looking at history and seeing how things unfolded. But, you know, it's a new year, and I want to push everybody to pick something like that. It's an example. But pick something that you, you want to focus on to not just be snappy and especially this day and age people are so easy to condemn and attack each other and fight and I just <laughs> I make wisecracks about it and sometimes I really piss people off but I don't mean to don't just you know make these judgments just on yeah. so that's one one of the goals this year when everybody do what is your New Year's resolution that you can grow from in a spiritual way. I think I think that's taking a lot Ram Dass's teachings right there and building on it. So that's that's wonderful. Wonderful new year. 2020, the, the roaring twenties. Valerie, if you were here, I don't know. I look back at uh, conversations her and I had, and when I'm looking at them, I feel like she's right there, like I could just pick up the phone, even though it's been a couple years, and still get a response. So, um, you know, to me, I dedicate this decade. I'm going to be living in the 2020s. I'll live it like the Roaring Twenties. <laughs> so... What else has happened in my life that I wanted to talk about? Um, this past month, I had some medical problems that I wanted to discuss with people. They're really stupid, but they're not. You know, I, I've hiking and everything. I deal with a lot of different pollens and dusts and things. You know, you wake up and altitude differences. Your eyes hurt. Well, I had this issue where. My eye just started, my left eye just really started bothering me. I start seeing these flashes out of it, and it's this movement in it. And me, of course, I don't go to the doctor about it. <laughs> and people were like, you really need to go to the doctor about this. And I was getting these bad headaches. And they said, sounds like you have a, something torn in your eye. Well, I went and I had to check down, and obviously it wasn't. And, and it was also a time I needed new glasses anyways. The ones I've had, I've had a few years. I wanted to get something new. And uh, I'd been saving up for it. But I had this issue with my eye and seeing flashes. It, what it wound up, I believe it being, was my eyes being dry, uh, allergies and a nerve, a couple different things working together. I got these wonderful gel eye drops that I've been using, and it seems to take it away. But it was really affecting me big time, just, just to write something down here on a piece of paper. If, if any of you have ever had this, it, it's scary because it could be anything from a torn retina to a glaucoma to a brain tumor to nothing. And most of those chances, it's nothing. But I, I still get the flashes. I'm not sure what it is. They checked my whole eye out. They said it's probably nothing. It's probably just something with a nerve or it's just there's a liquid in your eye. Who knows? But dealing with that gave me the past month, especially with these Christmas lights, seeing things in a whole new light, so to speak, or not seeing them. And I was faced with the thought of, you know, what, what, if, what if you would have some physical ailment where you couldn't hike, you couldn't write? You couldn't do the things that you love doing. How would you accomplish your goals in life with the same level of of living, your your, your dignity and your uh, your reason for life? And it's not something blindness. Nobody wants it. It's not something that vision has ever been great for me because I wear glasses, but. I have, friend, I have a friend of mine that's an albino that's blind, uh, Nikki Williams, and uh, she's gone her whole life without really any vision. So I'm not complaining about it, but it makes you realize the value of the simplest things. 
and I got new glasses and I've been dealing with these and slowly it's getting better. I believe a major cause in case I'm saying this because in case anybody else is having these problems, major case is the dryness in the air. You know, you're in forced air in the wintertime and you have uh, fish tanks lose water in them, the humidity's down and your allergies are gonna be up. So that that's that's something to to be be very cautious and careful of. Um, so I want to really send a shout out here to the eyeglass shop in my trib for helping me out with this, for being very kind with me. Um, Mike Brownfield went to high school with a guy. He's wonderful. If anybody needs an eye exam, anything, go go check out Mike. His eye, their eye store. They've got wonderful glasses. I've got I've got a pair of Maui gems from them that they just went above and beyond to make sure they worked right for me. And I appreciate it. I appreciate the time they took. Uh, help me out. Another thing I got, going back to writing. Fountain pens. I don't know if any of you have ever written, wrote, written, uh, what's the word? <laughs> been, a, been a connoisseur of pens. My father one time, and he was a district supervisor for household finance. He gave me a gold cross pen, and it was a ballpoint that he had had as a gift for working 20-some years in household finance. And I put it in my suit I had to go to school that day. I couldn't find it. And uh, I looked everywhere. I went in the auditorium. I'm looking under the chairs. I'm looking everywhere. And then I'm thinking, well, if I'd lost it, someone found it. Oh, well. And I... Uh, Went for a couple years. He's, oh, you have the pen? Oh, yeah, I have it. I have it. <laughs> Lying through my teeth. <laughs> not wanting to tell the old man that I lost his pen. His, 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 not that he prized anything. I mean, this is a guy that had Rolexes that just gave them away. They didn't, nothing material meant to him. It was, they were nice, but he didn't revolve around them. And I don't either. But it was in my suit. It fell down in. Okay, so I found it. And, uh. When I told him the story, and he laughed and said, well, why didn't you just tell me? But I have, I'm, got into fountain pens here a while ago. I came across some historic documents, and I said, wow, look how the penmanship was. And you have to understand, historically with documents, I don't think it was until the late 1800s, 1890s, early 1900s, that they came out with the standard writing style that when I was growing up, I don't think they do it today, but you had to be in the box, and it showed you an F, and you had to match that F. Here it was an E, a D, a J, and then the, the G and the Z were always, and the Q were always really threw me off. But these people had beautiful writing, and they would use a dip pen, and then they went to fountain pens. And then, of course, you got into the later 1900s where you have the pens we have today, the ballpoint, and then eventually the gel pens. So the, the closest thing to a gel pen, really, is a fountain pen. There's various types, but I got this one. It's a cross metalist, and it's gold, and it's got the silver full metal shield on it in medium, which I'm not crazy about. I prefer a fine tip, and the um, ink cartridge, refillable, and a gold nib, and I just got it. Okay, I just got it. And I'm comparing it to the other pens I have. I have another cross pen here. It has my name and Valerie's name on it. I had it made up just, just to remember her. When I had that book published, the first thing I did with the money, other than give it to, I gave a good bit of it to her kids. I had one of these made up for her daughter with her name on it and her name. I had one for myself, and it's a cross Beverly. It's more of a feminine pen. I didn't care. I just liked the looks of it. So I got two cross pens here. I have some old ones that are I found at uh, state sales that were I fixed. 
in the which is a Jinhao four four fifty X four fifty. And Jinhao is a cheap pen. You can pick these up for three dollars from China. And what you do with them is you spend on the nib. You go onto a site which I want to give a shout out to is uh, Goulet Pens. And you buy a nib for about 20 bucks. It's a size 8. You put it in them, and they write just like an expensive pen, but the casing will still wear out. And these are plastic uh, feeds on them. Am I right on that? They're not ebon wood where you can adjust them. Like the more expensive ones are ebon wood. I don't have any, I believe, but I got hooked on these fountain pens. You can, a couple reasons, you can adjust the ink on them, the colors on them, you can buy different types of ink. It's a water-based ink, so it will, water will affect it. But you can do your own signature in whatever color you want that nobody else can match. If you're good at mixing the inks, you can make your own color, your own formula for it. And for me, signing books, <coughs> that's one of my big things. Sure, I might not have it on me and might use a G2, and you know, maybe someday they'll say, well, this isn't his signature, he used a G2. Well, this, this will at least be a little better for a personalized signature, this ink. When you test it, you would know it was my ink. Okay. So that's one of these wonderful things that I've came across just in the last two days is this, this cross medalist. Um, Century 2 fountain pen. I'm not as crazy about the cross, of course, because their nibs are not removable like the Jin Hals and the other ones. They're proprietary, so uh, you can't get just another nib and throw it in. I've taken this Beverly apart. It uh, comes apart very easily, just like the others do. Getting it back together and getting it to work, that's a whole other story. I believe it took me two hours, and I was using some very profane words. <laughs> they, they were, uh, they're not easy. They're, they're pressed in, and uh, to get it back in without ruining it is very, very difficult. There's a certain enjoyment you get out of a cross pen or a Rolex. Or any like a manual watch you wind. The old ones had keys you would turn in the watches to wind them. That's what I grew up with. And I look at stuff I think of my dad. I think of the Rolexes he had. Uh, let me think of a couple of them. My older brother, Mark. And I'm not, I'm not bashing Mark. <laughs> he was in a veterans hospital. My dad had his Rolex. And he said to Mark, Mark said, I, I, I don't have my watch. And my dad said, well, I'll let you use mine, but I want it back. Okay. And Mark uh, either lost it or sold it for 15 bucks. He was on all these pain medications. And my dad just stared at him like this, you've got to be kidding me, look. And then was like, well, we left. And he goes, well, what do I expect? <laughs> you know, what do I expect? <laughs> I lent it to somebody. It's on me. That's what he was kind of like. The other one he had, I don't know what happened to that one. It was really beautiful. It had diamonds all over for each um, hour. And he had one he gave to his brother Mike up in New York. And my Uncle Mike had this, this dog that was supposed to protect him. Well, some guy robbed him, and the, guy, the dog was licking the guy's hand while he's robbing him. So nothing ever went right for my dad. He had some nice things. I grew up around. I got to enjoy them. And one, one of them were Rolex watches and cross pens and fountain pens and things with him being a manager that I just, what I look at, you know, well, what it means to be a man, and I don't mean this in the way that some sexist way, but when I look up to like seeing my dad in a suit, and how he dealt with people, how he negotiated, how he did things with uh, just dealing with people. Now he could deal with somebody that was a multi-millionaire, or he could deal with a guy digging ditches because he'd been both places. 
was that honesty and, and all those things, but above them all were the things he'd attained that I looked at and just went, wow, I hope I can be like that someday. And I think that's being a little boy and having your dad, that's that's what it means. So I got this, I got this pen and it just, just reminds me of him, you know. So if you see me out and I sign something with it, you can know that, think of my dad right there with that pen. Oh. Okay, like I said, this is rambling. I'm, I'm doing this podcast. I just want to get my heart out to you people. Uh, feel the new year. Bring it all in. I was out the other the other day at Racers. Uh, two friends of mine from work. One guy's band wouldn't me go out. And I ran into this guy. I was mentioning something about the football uh, draft. And I was saying, I know what it was now. I was saying when I was down in Jessica Lynch's town, there was this kid that had some problems learning. And you couldn't have carry on a really uh, deep conversation in certain ways with this kid. But he was phenomenal. I was saying, you know, this kid knew when it came to the draft every single stat. And I said... I would love to have taken this kid to Vegas. And this guy next to me starts laughing, and he's like, yeah, man, he's like, that's who you want to take. And this guy just came from L.A., starting this bar. This He's, he's helping this woman out in Fifth Ward in my trip with this bar called uh, Dexter's. And they call him Mijo. <laughs> so they got this whole guy's life story, and I was kind of really, like, taken by this. Uh, the people I were with were taken to, but they were kind of a little bit, they didn't want to talk about, you know, but I did. So I'm, I'm bullshitting with this guy and I'm getting this whole story of his life. And it was like a book. It was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful story. And uh, mentally, I'm taking notes. Like, if I ever want a character to do this, this is how it's going to be, you know. And I was just blown away, man. Just, just the beginning of the year, right, right off the bat, I meet inspiring person in a bar telling me these stories He's starting a new bar I'm getting my buddy a couple gigs here where you can play uh, sitting there you've got this band member you've got this guy that has antique cars that knows all this you've got me this writer and you've got this guy that's a, basically a drifter telling me stories I was, it's a phenomenal just conversation we had really great and wow you know you never know where you're gonna be like that and this is a little light rogue, you know to hang out and it got me into thinking about a few things you know what works for me as a writer and what doesn't I'm going to get into a few movies. This is going to be a little controversial. It's not really to me. I could care less. I grew up with Star Wars. I grew up with Doctor Who. Alright. The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. This movie is somehow becoming really, like, I just watched this thing today where Ryan Johnson wasn't in it. It was J.J. Abrams. JJ saying it's not me, it's Disney, and Disney say I want this to be a four-hour movie. Disney's saying no, I want this to be that. And I'm thinking, where's George Lucas in this? I'm just sitting, picturing him in the middle, being like me, somewhere he was sitting in the bar, had an idea, or sitting somewhere eating a sandwich, and he came up with this wonderful idea for a story he wanted to tell and go into all these Jungian archetypes of the hero, the wise old man. Uh, you know, uh, it, that's why it worked. George Lucas had an amazing, amazing story to tell about coming-of-age story. And then you had the prequels, and it was about sacrifice. And it worked. It was wonderful. It's a wonderful story. And I liked these other movies, too. I really liked them. Um, Force Awakens, uh, The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, 
I like these movies. Don't get me wrong. I really like them. Do I think they're on the same level, written with the same passion, the same storyline? No. No, I don't. Um, I think in a lot of ways it was a hit or miss. Like, you had the, you had the chance to get Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and uh, Harrison Ford together for these. And it is what it is. You know, you can't go back and redo it. What stands out to me in <laughs> what 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 stands out to me I really like and this is where it's gonna sound like I just opposed what I said it, it is the storyline of, of the character of Ray. Because I grew up, you know, when I grew up the first three Star Wars movies, it was Yoda, Luke Skywalker, and uh Obi-Wan Kenobi. They were all men. The Emperor was Force-sensitive. You always thought, wow, you know, I grew up with a lot of kids my age that were into Star Wars. A lot of the young girls were like, wow, could there ever be a female uh, Jedi? People kind of laughed it off. So then you got the prequels and you had in them a lot of that representation. I forget the one, the leaky thing with the antennas coming out of her head, whatever she was. She was one of my favorites. I thought, wow, I, I I like that. You know, maybe I'd, maybe I'd date a green-skinned girl someday or blue-skinned, whatever she was. I mean, that's that's hot. That's hot, you know. <laughs> I've talked with people at work that are really big into Star Wars here. So if I'm missing a few things, I'm not like a, a Star Wars nerd on this. I'm just saying from the basis of somebody watch movies, I like them, okay? And when I when I talk to people about it, they say, well, you, you don't know what this is. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. Uh, I don't live, eat, drink, and breathe it, okay? But where people are saying this is a dumpster fire, and I'm I'm hearing all this. I liked. This is what I liked about the character of Ray. You get you get in the first movie. This little girl doesn't know who she is. She's living by herself. She's living in this desert with these you know horrible conditions. She wants to get off it. She doesn't wants to know her name. And you grow with her. And Daisy Ridley as an actress. I don't think they should have made the love connection with her and Kylo Ray, the kissing, the whole thing. That, that was dumb. I mean, that was. I don't think it fit. I think the whole emo Darth Vader thing, kid. Yeah, whatever. All right, go for it. I'm, I'm a little older, so maybe I'm missing some things, too, that are cool. But Daisy Ridley carried that movie. Mark Hamill. Of course, always carried it. I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. Okay, and then the light, the gold lightsaber. I'm like, that's that's cool. That's different. At the end of the movie, I want more of this. And that's what I think. Where there was that hit and miss with people, they wanted the next three to be about the original cast and growing into these these characters like uh, Leia's kid and Ray, where you didn't get enough screen time of those original characters. So what I, what I think that ideally should have been was what people wanted like that. And then, yeah, then build with Ray. Hey, she's got this awesome gold lightsaber and she's a Skywalker now or whatever she is. And give her a trilogy where she's, you know, kicking ass and looking just, ooh, that, that, look, that look that Daisy really gets in her eyes when she's pissed off. It's just like, you know, you don't want to be in her way. I like that. You know, that, that goes back to the original Star Wars, what I liked about it. The prequels were fascinating, but you didn't get that personal feeling about it. So, uh, Daisy Ridley owned those movies. That, those were phenomenal. She owned them. You know, her acting is amazing. Some of those scenes she comes off with those, with the dueling is, is number one, it's choreographed beautifully. Uh, she does all of the facial expressions, recognition of, of what she's doing in the role, everything beautifully. And she also, you have to understand, doesn't even know what the Force is at the first movie. She's vaguely heard of Luke Skywalker, and you know, she's just building on this. So on a filmography, choreographed, and screenwriter point of view, 
it's almost Shakespearean the way that, that she comes across. She is a heroine that is really not given enough credit for what she's done in this movie, these three movies. I liked it. Did I, did I like the way Disney wrote it? No, no, I didn't like it at all. I think it was disjointed. It was like a round robin. You, you were originally going to have three different writers writing different movies. What the hell? No, but this kid carried a role, and, you know, I hope they do more with her with it. Big, big kudos to Mark Hamill and um, Daisy Ridley. I, I've met Mark Hamill, great guy, uh, very down-to-earth. He's cool in a smart-ass way. He just has this wit about him. you got to love Mark. Every role he's ever done, I think he owns. So, that one I liked. The new Doctor Who, not so much. And it's not about a woman doctor. Uh, Jodie Whittaker and Doctor Who. I just, I feel like something's missing. I like the show. I watch it. It's going to be on, I think, tomorrow night again. I went from Peter Capaldi. You know, you had Matt Smith. That carried on mainly as the first doctor really had his full say-so in it. I know there was the... Uh, Peter Eccleston before that, but he only had one season, so it really was, he didn't get enough time. But the real people that had the role that actually ran with it and had the full go at it were um, David Tennant. Dave, David Tennant, I mean, he is, your actors you can, you can bring out, he's probably the best for any role. He's, he's done it too, Shakespeare, all this thing, all these different roles. So you, you build upon what this person has had. Difference being, movies, television, and uh, Broadway or plays, Shakespearean plays. But you do a movie. I believe it was the man that played Picard in. Uh, I can't think of his name. Forgive me. But he did the movie Logan, the little girl that plays Laura. He did a role. His scene, and she he started crying. And the little actress says, what, what, "What's so tough?" He says, "Well, I'll never get to do that scene again." And he said to her, if you ever act, going into acting where you can do Broadway, you get to do that scene every night. But when you're doing a movie or television, you're only going to do it one time. And I think when you have an actor like a David Tennant or a Peter Capaldi, the, the most recent one, you get that sense of it. You get that sense this is a guy that, that has acting credentials. Matt Smith really didn't have a lot of them. I liked Matt Smith, too, you know. And Jodie Whittaker, she she has a lot of those acting roles and skills. But, and this goes for any, anything. You can go and see a play done with Hamlet, with these this group of actors, or this group of actors, or that group. And you might say, hey, really like this, I really like that, I didn't like this, didn't like that. I... I don't have an opinion that way. And it's not about her being a woman. I think she's a phenomenal actress, okay? What I see in that is the same thing I see in The Rise of Skywalker. It feels rushed. You feel like the product is product is being put out there just to be put out there. And that's understandable with a new writer. I, I just don't feel the love that I felt for series the past and I haven't been around 50 years but in the past there were ups and downs sure but it, it, it gets to a point I think with any kind of television series eventually you've told every story you wanted and then you get into um, okay what can we do next and, and my favorite one Star Trek okay the first series I've got all these wonderful roles with Kirk and Spock and Bones and Scotty in the last season it has nothing. There's a body swaps episode, which are always got to be one in every show, you know. Uh, there's one with uh, dying and rebirth and coming back. There's got. It's always that. <laughs> hey, I ran out of ideas. What can we do? Hey, you have any ideas over here? That that's that's not like how you should write something. Um, and I, I give I give respect to all these writers because, you know, 
sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's like an album. You put it out, book. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And trust me, I've written more shit than anybody. But I, I, I want to really hope that I see it get back to that level where the fan base comes back. And I don't understand totally why they were insulted. I think a lot of people just read too much into it. You know, they came in saying, I'm going to hate this, I'm going to hate this, and guess what? When after it's done, they hated it. Other people came in and said, I'm going to love this, I'm going to love this, and guess what? They loved it. Um, but when I watch it, I'm seeing that this is affecting the product to the point where they're being very, very conservative about how they're writing it. Not conservative in the sense that politically, but they're not taking the time to have fun. Take have fun with what you're doing. You have a role of a lifetime. You only get to do it one time. Just as uh, the man that played Picard said, you get one time to do this. That was his whole point. Have fun with it. What worked for the Star Wars thing with Daisy Ridley and all these other actors, you name the movie, is she had fun with it. She really loved it. She found a little piece of Ray in herself, you know. Music does that. You know, that's why the guy that wrote the song sounds better than the guy that's just performing it. Um, so, <laughs> those are my reviews of two things this year. I hope get better. Uh, the Mandalorian has it. The Mandalorian is phenomenal. I love the Mandalorian. That Baby Yoda, I want that little, little guy here. I want to have... I don't know. We're gonna go fishing together. We're gonna that that kid is that, that that baby Yoda is exactly what works, and it's taking something old and making it new. It's having fun with it, and people love it. They love it. Okay, things like that. It's sad that I should be enjoying baby Yoda more than the Rise of Skywalker or Doctor Who. Other than for Daisy Ridley, I, I love Daisy Ridley. She is. I wish I had. I wish she was my daughter. You know, I'd be like, "Hey, that's my daughter there. She's a Jedi." <laughs> all the young, young, yeah, all the young girls out there that want to be Jedi's. Yes, you can be a Jedi. I love it. So, <laughs> I'm on my soapbox here. As a, as a, as a telling you what works as a writer, what doesn't work. You know, these are these are things that uh, people have to find out on their own. And every decade, things change. Every generation, people are more interested in this, more interested in that. Things move faster than they used to. Um, knowing your craft, taking pride in it, having fun with it—that's great, man. So, I, I want to talk about my last thing here today. My very last. Let me see here. Messaging somebody here. Okay, there's a podcast coming out. Make sure I get her name right. There we go. This is this little girl. I'm going to talk about women that are tough. Hazel Finley, that's about spelled out. H-A-Z-E-L-F-I-N-D-L-A-Y climbing.com. Check her out. This girl is starting a podcast. And it's called the Curious Climber Podcast. You can see it on this on my uh, own the people I go through to make this. And her and uh, Mina Leslie Majusic are going to uh, be doing this podcast. Hashtag Curious Climber Podcast. Hashtag Podcast Punters. The Curious Climber Podcast. She says here, and I, I agree with this. Podcasts have changed the way I think about things. Changed the quality of the content I'm consuming. All in a positive way. So much of my job as a professional climber requires communicating in a way that lacks depth, lacks nuance, lacks the time and space to actually have a conversation. 
So I thought, why not start a podcast? The idea first came to me about two years ago, and I've been stewing on it for a while. The year, this year I decided to make it happen. And about the same time, my good friend Mina was going through a similar thought process, so we teamed up, and there you go. And it's not all about climbing, but I wanted to give a shout-out to her, because this this is... I listened to the first episode, and I always liked the kid. Like, when I first heard of her, it was in Egypt. It was one of these tombs. It was one of the princesses of Egypt, and it was up in this precarious rock formation, a little cave, the, the ground, the rock was falling away, and nobody wanted to climb it. And she's like, I'll do it. And it, it was like, are you nuts? <laughs> are you crazy? And she did. She climbed up and set a guideline, and now people can go up, and they did archaeological research. And she scaled up, but just like, boop, 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 right up the thing. And I'm like, wow, this kid is a good climber. I've seen a lot of climbers in my life, but who is this little kid? And, and since then, she's grown, and she's, she's, she's a woman. She's not a little kid. But this, the things in her podcast it, are, and her school climbing, are light years ahead of, ahead of most climbing schools of rock climbing that I've ever seen. She's, she's a mind for it. She's, she's a natural. And I, I want to really give a shout-out to her. Miss, Miss Finley is great mind. She's got it. She's worth listening to. I've never met her personally, but we've, I've met, messaged her here and there. But check out this little Australian girl and um, Australia or New Zealand, I don't remember. Anyway, she's down that way is where she's from. Great podcast, great young lady, great mind, you know, inspiring as hell. Uh, love it. And I've talked for 52 minutes and 12 seconds. <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't waste your time.